I'm just talking to you. I am starting to appreciate mushrooms a lot more. Really? Yeah. Nomadic cowbirds and poking the puffballs. I like turtles. And lightsaber frog calls. Fresh seaweed scat filled with persimmon seeds. Okay, hey everybody, this is Alan Saylor from Great Plains Nature Center, and you're listening to That's My Favorite, the podcast where we geek out with naturalists. Uh, I'm excited for today because we're going to be talking about something I don't know a lot about. Uh, <laughs> I'm here today with uh, our uh, resident uh, fungus queen, Lindsay Ryan. Hey, what's up? <laughs> so Lindsay, tell me what is your favorite and uh, what are you going to mm. talk about? Well, obviously my favorite is mushrooms. I love fungus. And it's really hard for me to pick a favorite mushroom, but sure. because the morel season is coming up, I'm going to say that's my favorite right now because I'm about to get into full-blown hunting mode. Okay. Hunting yeah. for morels. All yeah. right. Um, so for those of us who are not very mushroom literate, um, tell me what is different about a morel? It, it's different. That, that's for sure. <laughs> so... A morel is special or different because it comes up in the springtime and not a lot of mushrooms come out this early in the year. So that is really significant and it encourages people to get outside, which I really like a lot. They're also really delicious. But in my opinion, they're not the most delicious edible mushroom, but that's for another podcast episode. Okay. I would say probably chanterelles are the most delicious. They're like buttery and... Hmm, never mind. <laughs> anyway, okay. Cool. Um, they're also really, really healthy for you. And plus, part of the fun or the special part of looking for these mushrooms is the actual going out and looking for them part because it's very, they're really well camouflaged. They can be hard to find sometimes. So sometimes the best part is actually finding them and not eating them. Okay. So, and um, so if you were to go looking for morels, first of all, I guess these are, these aren't, they don't, they don't look like, um, like the toadstool type mushrooms with a cap, right? They look a little bit different. What, yeah. what, what, how would you describe them? So morels are actually ascomycotes, which is a big fancy word for one of the branches in the kingdom of fun, fun, fungi. <laughs> um, so the kingdom itself is divided into two major branches, and there's basidiomycotes and ascomycotes. Now basidiomycotes are the ones with the cap and the gills or the pores and whatnot, and ascomycotes are this whole other weird little group, and morels are part of that little group. So instead of having a regular cap with those gills, they have a cap that is pitted or pockmarked um, with little okay. ridges, and the pits go in toward the center of the cap which is an important characteristic when you're trying to identify them correctly. Okay. Yeah, so they're a little bit different. Okay, so yeah, they sound kind of distinctive. Um, so if you were someone who's uh, going mushroom hunting for the first time, it sounds like uh, they're, are they, you're not going to mistake these for other mushrooms probably. I mean, there's a chance, but once you actually know what you're looking for, it's pretty hard to tell them or confuse them for something else just because they are so distinct. One of the other big field characteristics is that when you cut them in half from top to bottom, they're completely hollow on the inside. Oh, there's weird. nothing inside of them. There are no fine little hairs or cottony fibers like there are in some. The big one that you want to look out for is called um, a gyromitra or one of the common Two common names are, one, the beef steak and okay. the false morel. And I have fundamental issues with both of those common names <laughs> Okay. because there is another mushroom that is actually called a beef steak as well that is considered oh. an edible species. Okay. And so there are a few that are absolutely no-go, do-not-eat yes. morels. Yes. Okay. And this 
false morale or this guy Ramitra is definitely a no-go. There's a lot of controversy about whether people can eat them or not. And I know a lot of people have said, well, my granddad used to boil them and then we would eat them and be fine. Right. And it's like, okay, well, that, that might have worked for them, but that yeah. doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else. And maybe they had built up a tolerance over the years. What happens is when you consume these, these gyromitras is that your liver metabolizes this toxin that's inside of them and literally converts it into rocket fuel. And I don't have that, the full name of that chemical off the top of my head because it's really long, <laughs> but it's literally rocket fuel that your body converts it into Whoa. and you're basically poisoning yourself. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. And so some, you, some people may have like a little bit different tolerance for that. Or, yeah. Yeah. Metabolize. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's That's... most likely to cause you a lot of gastrointestinal upset. <laughs> right. Yes. yes. Uh, okay. So definitely want to avoid some of those. Yes. Um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> and the way to tell the difference between this false morale and a true morale is remember I said that true morale is hollow throughout completely, but when you cut this false morale in half, it's not. So it's got a fleshy material inside of it oh, okay um and it's chambered so there are holes inside of it but it's not completely hollow i gotcha yeah okay so, so. they're well that's a good kind of fail safe way to be sure yep i guess so why why are they hollow inside that seems odd to me is there you know i i don't know why yeah and i'm i don't really know if anybody knows why oh okay it's yeah. one of those nature nature's mysteries huh? yeah okay at least i haven't run across any papers about it but. interesting I might have to start doing some research on that again because who knows? New science about mushrooms comes out all the time. Cool. Okay, so let's say uh, where where do you go to find morels? Like, what is oh, a man. what's a good? Uh, I guess would you call it a habitat or, uh, or yeah like a, yeah you could call it a habitat yeah. Well, the the pickle is that they can literally grow all over the place. They oh, okay. can grow in wide open fields. I've seen them growing in people's lawns, uh, in ditches on the side of the road. Um, some key things to really make note of though, um, if you're just starting out and beginning to look for them, some ways to help you is to understand the trees. So there's a lot of debate in science right now about whether or not true morels are mycorrhizal or saprobic, or if they go through both of those in their life cycle, or if some of them are mycorrhizal or sapro saprobic. And I can see you, your wheels turning, and yes. I'm going to define both of those. I have no idea what you're saying. But That's I'm, fine. I'm excited. Okay, so mycorrhizal is where they have a significant relationship with the plants or trees around it. Oh, okay? okay. So these this mushroom is um, like the actual morel itself is a fruiting body of a bigger organism. And this organism is known as a mycelium and that's the actual fungus. That's the part that does the digestion, the nutrient absorption, the creation of the mushrooms. And these mushrooms just act as the reproductive body for that fungus. Okay. okay. Now these, my, this mycelium can be smaller than a root hair in some places, which means that it's going to be way better at absorbing water and nutrients than even a tree is. So this relationship, they um, they can be ecto or they can be endo, meaning that they can actually, this mycelium can actually go inside the root where they can do an exchange or they can like encase the outside of the root and do the exchange that way. So this fungus is giving water and nutrients to the trees and the trees are giving the, fu the fungus carbohydrates and sugars. Oh, okay. So it's not, it's not just like, it's not like a parasitic kind of thing. No. It's like 
the mushroom's not just cheating off of the tree. Mm-hmm. It's it's a mutualistic symbiotic relationship. Very cool, and that's called micro mycorrhizal. Mycorrhizal. Okay. Yep. Oh, that makes sense because myco is like mushroom, and then yep. rhizome like a root. Okay. Exactly. So they kind of go together. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Very cool. Um, and then the other one I mentioned was saprobic, meaning that they're breaking down decaying or or um, like old organic matter and they're terrestrial so you'll only find morels growing out of the soil so they could be breaking down old rotting wood that's in the ground or old corn stalks or really anything that could be down there but science isn't 100 percent sure it might be saprobic it might be mycorrhizal it might be both interesting okay that that seems weird to me that we wouldn't know i mean this is like a it's a this is like a really kind of popular mushroom. Yeah. It's a common thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, we haven't been able to um, really, really, really successfully cultivate it like we can the white button mushrooms that you get in grocery stores. And that's because oh. we don't fully understand its life cycle yet. That's a good point. You know, I don't know if I've ever actually eaten a morel mm-hmm. before. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I see them. You see lots of, I mean, a whole variety of mushrooms, but they mm-hmm. tend to be those, yeah, the capped, the basidiocarp type ones. Yep. So, very weird. I know it's 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 very odd, and it's like this. They're just shrouded in this mystery, and yeah. um, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of mycologists out there. And <laughs> those who are out there are most likely doing it for the medical side of stuff or their applications to help humans. Um, for instance, we recently discovered that oyster mushrooms can um, consume oil in oil spills, and um, huh. just different okay. ways that mushrooms can help society, and not yeah. necessarily the mushrooms themselves. Oh, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go off on that tangent of how other ways that you know people use mushrooms, but um, maybe we'll circle that's back to that. A whole, I could t- yeah, that's a whole. <laughs> that's other a thing. whole other podcast. Yeah. Huh? Okay, cool. Um, all right, so. So, okay, mushrooms, right, so they either are feeding off of, or they're either having this kind of symbiotic relationship with trees, mm-hmm. or they're basically decomposers, yes. is what you're saying. Yes. But it, it it can be either or. So they're not, um, that's that's kind of weird. So they, they, they do, I guess, eat things, in a way. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't have an internal digestion process, the way humans do. They actually have to... Um, excrete digestive enzymes and that breaks down all those organic things and then they absorb it into their into their mycelium and i think we kind of got off on a tangent about this but we had started talking about the habitats that you can find them in that's right yeah we did okay and i just remembered that (laughs) Um, yeah so that's the digestion side of it but and those mycorrhizal relationships that they have with these trees, they don't necessarily need to do that because the trees are giving them the nutrients that they need sure. or that they can't get on their own. Interesting. Yeah. And okay. there's, so there's a lot of speculation about that. But there are certain types of trees that these mushrooms are more likely to be associated with or more documented being near, um, like sycamores. I have a lot of success around cottonwood trees. Okay. Um, so if you have a good stand of cottonwoods on your property or you know one like in a public on public land, I would go check that area. I have a lot of success with cottonwoods, um, elm trees. There's a, there are a bunch of them. So if you just do your research a little bit, um, figure out what's growing in your area, and you're probably going to find them. The ones I don't normally find them a lot around. That I mean, I've found them near cedar trees in the past, uh, but not as much as I I've found them around like hardwood trees. Okay, so kind of like a bottomland hardwood, like looking near. Yeah. Like. I guess, well, I mean, cottonwoods are usually going to be near water. So mm-hmm. some, somewhere kind of like, you know, near lakes, ponds, streams, yep. that, that's a good. Yep. 
and they, they love moisture. So anywhere that holds okay. a lot of moisture in the soil, but you can also find them in sandy soils. And okay. um, one of the hypotheses is that these mushrooms will start fruiting like prolifically when their food supply is cut off. Yeah. One of the hypotheses is that when their food supply gets cut off, for example, there is a recent burn or a tree gets cut okay. down, that mushroom is like, crap, I have to reproduce because my food supply just ended and I might die soon. Oh, uh, okay. So it's kind of a desperation thing. Yeah. So that's one hypothesis because, again, we're not really sure. Interesting. Yeah. So you can find them in recently burned areas or places with disturbance, like on the edges of groves of trees that have recently been cut down. It's There's no really rhyme or reason to it. You kind of just fall into a pattern that works for you. And for me, it's cottonwood trees or recently disturbed areas. Okay. So. No, that's a good, yeah, that's a good kind of guidepost, I guess, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I wouldn't know where to start, you know, yeah. obviously. So yeah, that, and a lot of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, so woodsy areas after a good rain and in the springtime, because that's when they come out. Springtime, okay. And how long How long will they be, like, I mean, is is there an issue with, like, uh, like peak freshness for these mushrooms? Like, is there, do they, like, do these fruiting bodies kind of start decaying at a certain point and they're not good anymore or yeah so in the early season like right now it's early season like we're already getting reports of mushrooms being found in kansas or i should say morels being found in kansas they're always mushrooms um and right now they're really early so they're going to be really small but give them another week or two and they can get really big and by really big i mean um probably three four five inches in height um toward the end of this season i found ones that have been as long as my forearm they, they can get huge <laughs> that's toward crazy. the end of the season. Yeah, and that's if they go unpicked and unnoticed and yeah. they can avoid getting consumed by a lot of bugs. And if it's not too hot, because if it gets too hot, it's going to speed up their decomposition rate. And they can rot in a couple of different ways. And one, they just get really, like, melty, fleshy, and <laughs> decay-like. Yeah. And the other one is that they get dried out and they desiccate and you don't want to eat those either. So okay. there is a peak, and it's usually about in April, early April, first couple of weeks of April, I should say. Um, and then as you get closer to May, it starts to decrease and taper off. And then because once it starts getting too hot, they won't grow. But if it's too cold, like it was a couple of weeks ago, they're also not going to grow. So they grow in this like weird Goldilocks. Uh, okay. Really sensitive to their yeah. temperature and that kind of thing. Yep. I think the general rule of thumb is if it's if it maintains above 60 degrees Fahrenheit as the high, but it does not dip below 40 degrees Fahrenheit uh, as the low, okay. that's kind of your sweet spot. So 40 to 60. So I, I guess this week it's been a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I guess, yeah, this would be like a good time for a lot of them to start coming up then. Yep. Very cool. All right. Okay. So... I guess what what do you what do you take with you what what do you do when mm. you when you go out hunting for mushrooms yeah. like what what's your I guess we we know you're look what you're looking for with general areas mm-hmm. but I guess what's your strategy or your technique what, what how do you do it Yeah so I hate ticks Okay I hate them I hate <laughs> them with a fiery passion yeah. So I always wear long sleeves if I can if it's if I'm not going to die out there I always wear long pants tall socks and closed-toed shoes like rule of thumb and yeah. I know it looks real dumb but I tuck my pants into my socks It's true because, I mean, they're not going to crawl up underneath your pants that way. And it's going to save you from a lot of tick-borne illnesses and save you on money because you won't have to buy so much bug spray. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Both good things. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to run into those. Um, 
Okay, so let's see. How do you... How Wait, do you... Ooh. There are other things I take with me too. Oh, yeah. Okay. I always take a basket or a mesh bag. Okay. Don't ever use a plastic bag because just like plants need to, quote, breathe, mushrooms also need to breathe. Okay. Um, so if you put them in a plastic bag, you're cutting off that flow of air um, and you're going to make them start to sweat. Ooh, okay. Yep. And... Um, they're going to start decomposing in the bag that you're carrying them in, not to mention you're going to crush all the ones on the bottom. So a basket is going to help alleviate that. Or a mesh bag. Yeah. Okay. And then I always bring a knife because when you harvest a mushroom, you want to cut it at the base of the mushroom. You don't ever want to pluck it or like dig it up out of the ground or anything like that because you'll risk damaging that mycelium and you might harm future fruitings. Oh, okay. Yeah. But again, there's no, there's really no science that supports that. But it's always safe to be, or safe to do it responsibly than it sure. is to risk that. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's like you wouldn't want to damage the root system of a plant, yep. right? That makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so mushrooms, you kind of said that they, they need a little bit of, they need to be uh, in a kind of a breathable situation. So mm-hmm. um, I guess, how do you store them once you've, once you've harvested them? Yeah, so you can, I usually store them in like a brown paper bag and okay. put them in my fridge. They'll last a couple of days in there like that. If you don't eat them right away or if you want to wait a little bit or if you've harvested too many, I've given them away to people. <laughs> I um, have dried them out and I've used them in soup in the wintertime. Oh, cool. You can partially cook them and then freeze them. You can pickle them. I mean, you can store Ooh, really? them in all kinds of different ways. I've never had them pickled, but yeah. I've seen recipes for it. I don't know if I've ever had a pickled mushroom either. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you have a uh, Do you have a favorite morel recipe? That... Yeah, I do. Okay. So I really <laughs> like the texture and the nutty flavor that these mushrooms have. And a lot of people will be like, oh, man, you got to fry those suckers. But to me, if you <laughs> fry them, like you batter them with egg and you put them in breadcrumbs and then right. you fry them it you don't get the taste of the mushroom itself or that beautiful shine. texture yeah. yeah you get all you get the taste of fry oil right <laughs> so i like to put them in a pan with a little bit of a little bit of butter salt pepper and garlic and oh they're amazing and then you can just like put it on some toast it's real good if that i find awesome. if i find a bunch this year i'll give you some sweet yeah. yeah no i mean i might try to go find some myself yeah you should um very cool okay so i and i guess our are these mushrooms, are, are, do people kind of, um, are you like competing with wildlife kind of to find them? Are they a food source for wildlife or not really? Yeah. So a lot of wildlife actually eat a lot of mushrooms. Oh, okay. That's because they're a really good source of protein. And in these early months in the springtime when things are kind of still waking up, they're a good, like I said, a good source of protein. So a lot of animals eat them. One of the issues that people run into a lot are bugs. Oh, bugs yeah. really like them but you can just hose them off and if they're too buggy just don't eat them it's not worth it i mean gotcha. bugs are just a little added protein but right <laughs> some people have <laughs> issues with eating bugs um yeah that might not be the kind of yeah yeah might not want that extra ingredient uh, in your in your morels yeah okay okay so when you actually find these mushrooms there is a lot of controversy in the morel hunter world about how you should clean them off okay yeah. all right this sounds intense yeah there's a lot of ar- there's a lot of arguing on like facebook groups and forums and it drives me insane okay so usually people will tell you to soak them in water that has salt in it to get rid of all the buggies salt water okay yeah but i don't like doing that number one because soaking them in water of any kind 
will make them really soggy and you're going to lose that amazing texture that they have. Oh, they absorb a lot, do they? Mm -hmm. Oh, yep. okay. And then that salt is going to make it even worse. Yeah. And it's going to alter the flavor. So what I suggest to people when I get questions about this is um, you, you can, some of them just need brushed off because some of them might just have a little dirt or sand on them. So I just brush them off and they're good to go. Um, or you can put them in a colander you know, those things you use to oh, yeah. rinse the pasta. Yeah. You can put them in that and then just slosh them around in some cold water. And I'm going to emphasize the word cold here because if you use hot water, you're going to start to prematurely cook them. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So use cold water. <laughs> and then if they seem to be really dirty or extra buggy, you can cut them in half and make sure there aren't any bugs on the inside and then just hose them off with one of those spray nozzles if you have one or high pressure water. Yeah. Okay. That's true. I guess because of those hollow spaces, yep. probably good. Yeah. Probably a lot of things might get actually in there. Yep. But it's only mm. if they can chew their way in. They're actually right. pretty good at keeping that space enclosed. And if you pick them in there in good shape, you're unlikely to have any in there. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. Um, yeah, it seems that makes a lot of sense. Like you wouldn't want to obviously do anything to damage it before you're ready to cook it. Yep. And the salt, I mean, that's kind of like almost brining it. Like that seems yeah. like that would really change the, the whole experience. Yep. It Very does. Weird. Um, do these mushrooms, I guess, do they have anything, do they do defend themselves in any way from that, the, their predators out there? That's an interesting question. Not the only thing I can that really comes to my mind is when you pick these wild mushrooms, you're always supposed to cook them completely before you eat them. And that's because they do contain a very mild toxin. Oh, okay. And the cooking, that heat breaks down that toxin. Oh. So you're not going to get sick from it after you cook them completely. So you're okay. good to go. So my mind goes to that toxin. So maybe it's there to deter critters from eating them. But yeah. from my experience, it doesn't work very well. It doesn't work very well. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's, that's interesting. They're mildly toxic. Yeah. I guess, well, there's a lot of things humans eat that kind of ignore the defenses like hot peppers and stuff. Yeah. It's like too bad nature. We're going after it anyway. Yep. Um, interesting. Okay. Yep. What, what else, what else should we know about morel mushrooms? Um, it's not about the mushroom itself. It's more about what you can encounter when you're out looking for them. So oh, there yeah. are a lot of other critters that live in the woods. Right. So <laughs> not, I mean, us, but other than like ticks and mosquitoes, you can also run into snakes. Um, and in certain parts of the state, you might run into a venomous snake. And the best course of action was just to leave that little thing alone. It's not going to bother you if you don't bother it. Very good advice. Yeah. Um, so you are, when you're, I guess when you're actually like, on the ground looking for these mushrooms, um, you're making sure that you are oh, definitely aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Right? Don't get, you're not getting tunnel vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Try to avoid the tunnel vision. <laughs> um, but most of the time, if there are other critters out there, like snakes or mammals that might be out and about during the daytime or even other birds, um, they're likely to run away from you if you get close to them. Sure. Like they don't want to engage with you. They don't want anything to do with humans. They just want to go about their merry little animal lives. So if you're anywhere near them, they're likely to just take off and avoid you at all costs. So, but I mean, you should also be aware of your surroundings just in case maybe they're sleeping or they're just sunning themselves in a nice patch of sunlight there on the forest floor, right. you know, like snakes might do. Um, but again, just leave it alone as best as you can. Um, and it's not going to bother you. Okay. So. Um, trying to think. Oh yeah, share the woods because there are, are going to be other people out there also looking for them. And I know that there's a lot of 
competition and secrecy that shrouds these mushrooms. <laughs> I know people who will park their car in one place and walk three miles in these weird patterns so that nobody follows them to their secret morale spots. What? Yeah, people are crazy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because their spots are usually really good and they produce yeah. tons and tons of pounds of mushrooms. Right. Also, a pound of these mushrooms, and this is another reason why they're so coveted, not just because they're delicious and nutritious, but also because they sell for upwards of $20 a pound. And I've seen them oh, selling wow. for almost $60 a pound in the past. So they are, there is a value to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, so this is almost kind of like a... Um, Kind of like a side gig for some people. Yeah, it, it really can be. But the, the pickle there is that to legally sell them in uh-huh. Kansas, you have to be licensed. And, oh, yeah, okay. Or certified, I should say. Certified, Certified, okay. yeah. Who does that certifying? You can get the certification through the Kansas Extension Office. Oh, okay. So it's like considered an agricultural kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can get a certification through that. I know... Um, Last year, they put on a couple of courses. So if you're looking to get certified, look up one of those classes. It's a quick one-day experience. It's only it's really only a few hours. You take a short, easy quiz, and then you're good to go. And then they mail you your certificate a couple weeks later. Cool. So and Then you're a professional mushroom hunter. Yep. Or I should say identifier. Identifier. <laughs> so you can right. safely identify morels <laughs> that are um, okay to eat. Right. And then you can sell them to restaurants or individuals. You can put up a booth at a farmer's market, really anything like that. Very cool. Yeah. I, I do think that's kind of funny. I, I'm You've got me interested in the drama of the mushroom hunting world here. This is... There's <laughs> I, a lot. I, I had no idea there was so much uh, competition. I mean, I guess it makes sense. You know, there's like... I think you kind of see the same thing with like hunters. You know, they if they've got like their spot, then they don't want that getting out. Like yep. it's their... It's their... Yeah. Um, very... <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of there are a lot of problems with people trespassing on private property because of stuff like this. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if mm. you're thinking about going hunting, beware of public property. Right. Um, versus <laughs> private property because you can get into a lot of trouble. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to get chased by anybody. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Especially in these next, this neck of the woods. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's see. The good news is that if you don't find morels, you're likely to find other mushrooms that are edible. Okay, yeah. So what are some other springtime varieties yeah. that are that are popping up now? So I actually went out a couple days ago um, just to a nearby state park, and I found some oyster mushrooms, and those are really delicious. And they're really easy to identify once you get it figured out. There aren't very many that actually look like these guys. If you know what you're looking at, they're usually white or like a gray. Sometimes they're a blue-gray color. Um, Cultivated varieties can be pink or yellow or like purple. It's wild. But these oyster mushrooms grow on like big fallen logs or dead or dying trees. Oh, Um, okay. They look... They get their common name because they look like oysters, like on a half shell, but they're kidney-shaped, they're very smooth on the top, and they're gills. They don't really have a stem, so they don't have a, like, a central stem or even one that, like, goes off to the side. They have, they're, like, bunched up, and they grow in, like, clusters, kind of. So is this, this is kind of like, um, I guess... Uh, I guess I, I sometimes I hear people call it like a shelf fungus. Is yeah. that what this like it kind of is that is that a whole other thing? That's like a whole other thing. Okay. It looks like it could be a shelf mushroom, but okay. most of the shelf mushrooms don't have gills. 
And these guys uh, have gills. I gotcha. They don't okay. have a central stem. They will have um, gills that like run down the cap. And I'll post a picture of it in the show notes so people know what it looks like. Yeah, I'll, absolutely. I'll Google it and show you what it looks like Okay, right now. yeah, good. They're sitting at home in my fridge waiting for me to eat them. <laughs> That's what they look like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those Aren't they are, beautiful? They are. They're really cool. So, they, yeah, they have no they have no stem. It's, and those are, it's like gills all the way down, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. They might have what some would call a lateral stem where it's um, like off to the side. And it just like where the mushroom cap itself like tapers back together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that does. Okay. Yeah. And then... Um, so that could technically be seen as a stem, but it will still have those gills that run all the way down it. It will never just be a bald stem. Very or a cool. Stock. Yeah. So that's black now. So. <laughs> so okay. So is that um, so those those are edible, uh, and I mean those are really distinctive too. Mm-hmm. Um, could that be confused for anything else, or is it? Uh, there are a couple of things, but the only the ones that they'll really get confused with, uh, fruit in the summer. Okay. And these guys actually fruit all year round. And I'm actually going to suggest that people only harvest these in the colder winter months because bugs like oyster mushrooms even more than they like morels. I gotcha. Yeah. And okay. they'll lay their eggs in there and then the larvae will be all up in there. Oof. One time, Rachel smashed a mushroom cap on my head and there were maggots in my hair. <laughs> it was oh, awful. That sounds so, horrible. Yeah. yeah. So we spent the rest of the afternoon on a patio picking maggots out of my hair. <laughs> Oh, fun. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that is a, that's a good cautionary tip there. Yeah. So <laughs> only get them in the winter. Yeah. So I guess the, so the season for that, you know, I guess, well, who knows if it's going to keep warming up here, mm-hmm. but so this, so this would be like, um, the right or kind of the windows closing for them. A little yeah. Bit. Well, well, the good ones, at least the good ones. Okay. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of starting to taper off. Usually I would stop af- actively looking for oyster mushrooms about May. Okay. So. Good to know. Good to know. And yeah. if if they're really gilly, mm-hmm. can they uh, they trap a lot of stuff? Like, is that would would you need to be taking any care with cleaning those? Or I never know. Um, I would just like peek in between those gills, and if it looks super buggy, you can spray it out with a like a one of those nozzle attachments or like high pressure water. Sure. And it usually does an okay job. You're not going to get a hundred percent of everything just because they are gills and things do get trapped in there. Gotcha. But it's I mean they're it's worth it in my opinion. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't typically use. I mean, the mushrooms I do use at home are, you know, typically just like the store-bought ones that don't really have a lot of gills going on, like mm-hmm. you know, like the cremini's and the, you know. The, yep, and that's because know. they're the stage in their life that they're picked at. Oh, so before they're like in full-on reproductive mode, they, yep. they don't have like the bloom. They are, I guess I don't know if you'd their, call it blooming. Their gills but, are exposed. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. yeah, the those gigantic portobellos that you yeah. scrape those gills out of, those right. are picked in their prime. Oh, okay. So the, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yep. So what else? What else would you find out there, mushroom-wise? You you showed me. Uh, um, this really weird mushroom that you found uh, that had a pretty cool name. Um, I guess last week when you guys were doing one of the hike videos, uh, it was like bright yellow. Oh, witch's butter. Witch's butter. Yeah. That was a, yeah. Witch's butter. That's a, it's a jelly fungus, actually. A jelly fungus. Yeah. Okay. So when you poke it, it feels a lot like jello. Cool. Literally. <laughs> it's, it looks somewhat like this. I'll post a picture of this too. And they can get really big. Oh, that is so awesome. I have been, I have read that they're edible. <laughs> okay. I have never eaten it. 
Right. So um, another really good edible species that you can find out there pretty much any time of the year, as long as there's a really good amount of moisture, they're called wood ears. Wood ears, and they're okay. Yeah. Also a jelly fungus. And they're often seen a lot in Asian cuisines. Um, have you ever had a bowl of ramen like from a restaurant? Um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. Those like black mushrooms that they have in there? Yes. Okay. Those are wood ears. Right. Oh, yeah. And they do have, they are, uh, different yeah mm-hmm. they're they're very they're kind of a little chewy almost yeah, yeah yeah they really don't have a lot of flavor to them most people just put them in cuisines for their texture right and then um they usually take on the flavor of whatever it is that they're in oh okay yeah so they're mostly good for texture kind really of absorbs the broth or whatever you yeah. want to cook them in yeah so those are good ones they're very gelatinous they get their common name because they look like fleshy ears coming off yeah. of wood only they're like Gross. a brown <laughs> purpley brown color okay sure so and is that these jelly jelly funguses fungi 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 i mean there's a lot of different ways to pronounce it there's no right way and there's no wrong way okay so jelly fungi fungi uh are they a different they're like a whole different family than these other mushrooms like that's a whole other thing yeah it's like a whole other thing it's not even Trying to think of how they are phylogenetically. Yeah, I'm sure that's complicated. I'm pretty sure that they're Ascomycotes, so they're in the same like sub kingdom. Oh, okay. As, so like a distant sub kingdom. Distant cousin of a morel. Then. Yes, it's a phylum. Just kidding. Phylum. Oh, so that's. So it's uh, right below the kingdom. Yeah, I gotta think. Okay, king Philip. So, oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. I think that's right. I think it is. Too. I've heard it a few ways. So you've got you've got that King Philip came over for good soup. Yeah. Which is weird. I've it also, is weird. I've also heard um, kids playing catch and freeway get squished. Oh no! <laughs> I have not heard that one. So yeah, it's good. I guess good advice. But yeah, it's um, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Okay. Good to know. So yeah, that that would be like. So they're really kind of like. Um, these mushrooms are really kind of very distantly related then, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like um, it would be like, I guess, in terms of uh, taxonomy, like insects would be a different phylum than us. Yes. Right? So um, that's like a huge difference. Yep. So our, our mushrooms are really major. that different from each other. It's not all the same i guess yeah yeah Yeah. i mean they're they're really really distinct groups that are not even close to a group that's on the other side of it i mean we're talking like yeah like an insect compared to a human being that is very weird it's it's really broad um and that's not Hmm. even a good analogy because it's even more distance than that i would say there's new science coming out all the time and these mushrooms are getting moved around with how they're being classified constantly i cannot tell you how many times i had to double check scientific names when i was writing the pocket guide right the for common kansas mushrooms side note that that's going to come out in a few weeks hopefully yeah everything goes swimmingly with the whole virus yeah (laughs) yeah i always had to double check scientific names because they just change constantly now that there are new technologies coming out that help um with like rna classification and we're not just looking at we used to group these mushrooms based on physical similarities and now we're doing genetic similarities right getting down to the like molecular level and seeing are these things actually related or yeah, not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty wild. That is pretty wild. 
So, so this guide that's coming out, is that going to have a lot of information for people in terms of like if they're interested in hunting for edibles and that kind of thing? Um, or is it mostly just a... It's mostly just about mushrooms people commonly see. Okay. There is a brief mention if a species is considered edible. I think I only put that on like three species in there because okay. I didn't want it to be an edible species guide because there are so many of those out there. Yeah. I wanted it to help foster an appreciation and kind of light a fire of excitement for mushrooms because sure. in my humble opinion there is not <laughs> enough appreciation for these amazing complex and mysterious organisms that no, absolutely. live here and i mean they've been around for millions of years like yeah i can't even tell you and one of my favorite things about them is that they're so diverse i mean you can have a single cell fungi such as a yeast oh, yeah. that's just floating around in the air that we're breathing right now Okay, And gross. you can have, I know it sounds really gross, <laughs> uh, but it's the truth. And then you can have literally the largest organism on the planet. And most people think about the oh, blue whale yeah. being the biggest one, but it's not. It's a fungus. It's actually a, a honey fungus, and it's up in Oregon, and it covers about right. 2,400 acres. And oh, it's wow. all one organism. That's insane. 2,400 acres. That's like... That's like several square miles. Yeah, right? it's yeah. several square miles. I used in a presentation, I used football fields to describe it. Okay. But I don't have that number off the top of my head. Let me look it up. Okay, so it's 3.75 square miles. Okay, that's, so that's, that's huge. huge. That's yeah. huge. <laughs> um, for, for a living thing, that's yeah, enormous. Yeah, <laughs> it's enormous. 17.6 football fields in one mile. Okay. Times 3.75 miles. That's 66 football fields worth... That's how big this Holy fungus cow. is. That's, yeah. And that's assuming that it's one singular organism. Right. Scientists aren't sure if it's like a colonial thing where yeah. multiples of this same species just kind of fuse together. But it's all acting as one big organism. Yeah, because I guess it's hard to tell when does one start and with the other end mm -hmm. with the, like their mycelium kind of, yep. it all kind of mingles, huh? Meshes up. That is wild. Isn't it? That's really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, other mushrooms in the guide. Yeah, so, yeah, an, a, an appreciation for mushrooms. I mean, I'm just talking to you. I am starting to appreciate mushrooms a lot more. Really? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it is something that you, you know, like, yeah, you see them on the trail, but I guess you don't really think too intensively about them sometimes. And yeah. they have a really unusual, you know, like, life history mm -hmm. you know they have like a, they the way they function is really bizarre it's insane and it's really complicated yeah i mean i think one of the reasons that people don't really pay a lot of attention to them in the first place is because there's a lot of stigma around mushrooms oh yeah for sure um one thing i do want everybody to know is that you can touch any mushroom that you want and you're not going to get sick from it oh okay any so mushroom not... like you can hold the world's most poisonous mushroom like the one that will kill you dead and it's not going to make you sick unless you eat it oh okay so it's like you said earlier it's like it it's not really a problem until it hits our liver basically is that kind of true of a lot of the toxic mushrooms or? um some so yeah there are some that don't get bad until it hits your liver there are some that will make you physically ill when it hits your stomach or okay. when you start breaking it down in your stomach i mean there are a lot of different kinds of mushroom poisonings sure. like there are uh i think they're called amatoxins they're only in am ammonitas okay um and then i mean there's a whole website just based on different kinds of mushroom poisonings and it's really fascinating stuff the good news is that everybody just thinks that 
there are poisonous mushrooms all over the place. Yeah. And they're right to have a concern for that, especially sure. if they have dogs yeah. or kids who are curious about these things. Um, but what I think people don't know is that there are really only a handful of them out there that are actually going to kill you. And there are only a, there's an even smaller handful of those that can be found in Kansas. And you can, again, you can touch and you can smell and you can pick them up and you can admire them yeah. and you're not going to get sick. The only way you'll get sick if you, is if you ingest something and you actually digest it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cause I guess, you know, that's kind of a similar stigma with snakes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, anytime we're talking about snakes, everybody's first question is, Oh, is that snake you have? Is that venomous? Yep. And so, you know, but really again, that's the minority of snakes in Kansas. Yeah. So, um, it's the same, same with mushrooms you're yeah, telling me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And people are afraid of that. And I think a big problem is that people are afraid of what they don't know or what they don't understand. Sure. So arming yourself with knowledge is going to help you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that, yeah, that, that is really cool. I think it's, I think it's good to, you know, get to know the mushrooms that we have, like, you know, even just the ones that pop up in your backyard after it rains, like all that kind of stuff. Because I mean, obviously the food species, you know, those edible ones are going to get a lot of attention and that everybody's crazy about those. But you know, that's, again, that's just like a little slice of the pie. Yep. Right? Very cool. Yep. Um, by the way, okay. What, uh, I guess, and this just for my own edification, what, what mushrooms are like deadly in Kansas? Oh, okay. There's one called the vomiter. <laughs> is that it, like, that's its, like, it's, that's its common name. That's awesome. It has a okay. lot of common names, actually. There's its other common name is the green spored parasol or the green spored lepiota. And okay. I, it's, it used to be a lepiota. And that's a genus, but it's no longer considered that, but it still retains that common name. And this particular mushroom is known as Chlorophyllum molybdides. And it's those really big ones that grow in fairy rings in people's yards. Um, They have rings on their stem. Uh, They have, yeah, they can be, I mean, they can be gigantic mushrooms. I mean, just massive. Whoa, okay. Um, they are the most commonly misidentified mushrooms because they kind of look like a meadow mushroom, which is the wild equivalent of those button mushrooms that you get in grocery stores. Okay. Those also grow here in Kansas and in people's yards and those are edible. But yeah, that mushroom actually causes the most poisonings in North America because it's so often misidentified. It just looks exactly like something else. yeah, Yeah. And, but it doesn't. And oh. that's something that I struggle with a lot is because I'm so used to seeing these mushrooms in a certain way yeah. that I can just tell off the bat what it is most of the time. If it's a really common species, granted, Kansas has like 750 plus species of mushrooms and it's impossible for me to know every single one of them, especially if they only fruit once every 10 years. So okay. uh, it's uh, I'll be lucky if I cross yeah. every single one of those off my bucket list. Right. <laughs> but sometimes I have to imagine myself as someone who doesn't know what they're looking at. Yeah. Because I can, in that sense, I can kind of see how they might confuse them. The sizing is the big difference. So these button mushrooms only get probably this tall, like yeah. which what two, three inches. Yeah. Or and then maybe like this big at the most, like right, the top of tiny, a peanut butter jar. Yeah. And, and these chlorophyllum molybdides or these vomiters are massive. We're yeah. talking like the size of dinner plates. Yeah. And they stand a foot tall. I mean, they're huge. So maybe not quite a foot, Whoa. but they're yeah. out there. And um, they grow in our park. You can find them really? out on the lawn over by the bathrooms on the other huh. side of the parking lot. Yeah, they're all over the place. There's Crazy. another one that looks almost identical to it. Macrolepiota is okay. the genus. 
but it doesn't have a common name that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, but anyway, it looks almost exactly identical to the chlorophyll molybdides. The big difference is that the the spore print on this the vomitor or that chlorophyll molybdides is a green color. The spore print. Okay. Yes. What is what is that? A spore print is a, another key way that you can use to identify a mushroom. Okay. So you would cut the stem off or cut the stem from the cap. Okay. As close to the gills as you can, gotcha. and then put it on a piece of paper, or I would prefer glass or plastic, because oh. if it has a white spore print and you put it on a white piece of paper, yeah, you're yeah. not going to see it very right. well. <laughs> so I always recommend using glass, and it doesn't have to be the whole mushroom. It can just be a part of it, and you just set it on there, cover it up, let it sit for a couple of hours, and then take it off and remove the cap or what part the part of it that you use and you'll see remnants of its spores and there a spore print is just the accumulation of thousands maybe even millions of these microscopic packets of information and that's what spores are for a mushroom right yeah so these mushrooms are constantly dropping these spores and they're getting picked up by the wind or carried off by water or whatever mode that they're using to transport their spores and um, that's what a spore print is it's just an accumulation of, a, of those teeny tiny microscopic packets of genetic information so okay the spores are they're just like constantly falling out of caps then yep if, if the caps are open and mature and mature mm -hmm. okay so and they and the, that's that's really interesting. I had no idea that you could kind of like color code. Yeah. Mushroom. I guess I didn't really think of. Well, like I wanna like when you like squeeze a puffball, right? Yeah. You can kind of see it's got that like golden. Yeah, kind of, or it can be like brown color. Yeah. There, spore prints are all over the spectrum. I've seen green spore prints. I've seen purple ones. You oh, can have like cool. a powder blue spore print. <laughs> Most of the time, what, for the species around here, the typical guild mushrooms are either gonna be white or like an off white or a brown color. Interesting. Those are going to be your common species anyway. So that's really weird. So I know. It, like, and I, this this is just kind of connected to that, but all these crazy colors you get in mushrooms, mm -hmm. right? All these weird pigments. What is that? Is that, are they taking up metals? Are they, is it like what, have, why do you have so many wild colors in these things? I honestly have no idea. There are a couple of hypotheses out there about, and it has to do with their mode of spore transportation. Okay. For example, there are a, there's a group of mushrooms called stinkhorns and they're really <laughs> stinky. Yeah. Vomiters, yeah. stinkhorns, they're, I love it. Yeah, they're great. Okay. I, I love the positivity that people came up with when they named these guys. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but I get it. So these stinkhorns are really common in people's yards. They're also one that could potentially be confused with more for a morel. Okay. And that's because when they pop up, they're often covered in this stinky, slimy material. Okay. And that's there to attract flies. Mm, okay. And that slimy material is just jam-packed with all their spores. So when a fly oh. lands on it, hmm. eats all the goop, picks up a bunch of spores, and then yeah. goes somewhere else and drops them off. Okay, it's kind of like a kind of like a kind of like a uh, like pollen in a flower, right? Yeah, Trying yeah. to attract an insect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the hypotheses is that their bright colors are attracting certain kinds of insects. Oh, uh, that makes or sense. Or certain things that might help them transport their spores. Another one is that remember we're only seeing colors within our frame of reference. That's true. So we're only seeing yeah. ones on we our have spectrum. kind of a limited slice of the yeah. visible light. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And who knows? I mean, insects or 
other critters could be seeing things that we're not seeing. Um, a lot of these mushrooms, not a lot, I should say, several species of these mushrooms can actually bioluminesce, so they glow in the dark. Oh, neat. Yeah, okay. so they, yeah. if you think about insects at night and they're really attracted to light, maybe that's right. one way that they transport their spores. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, mushrooms are just a world of mystery. Yeah, that's so, I had no idea about all this. Yeah. Very and a lot cool. of people don't. And that's yeah. why I'm just like, let's talk about fungus. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you start off with that and you might lose some people, but you shouldn't yeah, I, because yeah, I it's tend really to. cool. Yeah. I know. Just give me, give me like two seconds. I'll change your mind. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so there's, there are, I mean, there's so much out there that we still just like don't understand about the world of fungi. Yeah. I mean, they, they are kind of a odd thing. I mean, they're a little bit, you know, they're, they're kind of like an otherworldly kind of organism. Yeah. Like it's, you know, they're not, they're not really plants. They're not really animals. Yeah. They're just kind of their own whole thing. Yep. I, I actually just wrote a, an article about hunting for morels in the springtime. That's going to be published in a couple of different places. And I literally call them aliens <laughs> in the opening paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. <laughs> um, they, they really are. They're, they're very otherworldly and they're very not well understood quite yet. So very cool. If you're a young kiddo out there. Yeah. Trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. That's right. Study mushrooms. Yeah. Apparently we need more mycologists. Yes. So we do. <laughs> I always say that if I ever go back and get my PhD, it's going to be in mycology, but yeah, why not? Go for it. I love my job though. Get, oh yeah, that's true. We do need you here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I think that's all I've got. Okay. Do you have any more questions? You know, I I could ask you questions about this for like the next day and a half. Yeah. But I we can do a follow up. Yeah, we can always do else. a follow up. There's there's a lot of it sounds like there's a lot of uh, interesting topics out there. Oh with yeah. This, so yeah. I need to get better about doing mushroom. That's my favorite podcast episodes. No, I've yeah, only done one do. other one. <laughs> please do. Yeah, we we need to know more about this. It's yeah. very cool. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah. And um, I'll fun. remember to uh, cut my morels open. Yes. Check those. Do, please. In cold water. Yeah. And if you aren't sure, just shoot me a text. I'll help you. That sounds good. <laughs> this episode made me hungry. I need to I'm go. I'm starving. I haven't yeah. had lunch yet. All right. Let's go do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, check our show notes on gpnc.org uh, slash that's my favorite. Thanks to our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review. Uh, we'll be back. Um, this. Well, well, soon. I mean, yeah, we're soon. pumping we're, these out quickly. Yeah, we, we're, we're trying to uh, keep a, a steady stream of uh, online content uh, coming out for everybody who's uh, uh, staying in the, these next few weeks, um, doing our part in the uh, quarantine here. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys later. Thanks. Bye.